whenever you fundraise, the first investors you meet, you have to discard. Mm. And what you do is uh, you, you practice. You practice messaging. You see what kind of questions they ask because a lot of the questions will be the same. Yeah. So when you meet the ones you really want to invest, you will have a perfectly nailed answer with a good messaging, with a, you know, you tested what works, what doesn't work. excited for this episode with Piotr from Uncapped, revenue-based finance provider. He's the CEO and founder, and we get into some of the challenges they've had along the way from C to trying to raise a Series B and ultimately focusing on becoming much more efficient and effective as a business and moving uh, into profitability. We cover uh, loads in the episode from uh, getting an early stage MVP to co-founder disagreements to pivoting and getting back to the core vision and values of the business. Loads in here. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, welcome to the pod. Today we've got Piotr Pisage, founder and CEO Uncapped. I think I see Uncapped everywhere, all over social media. So great to have you on the pod, Piotr, and welcome. Thank you for having me. We're trying very, very hard to be everywhere. So <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's working. <laughs> cer cer certainly works. So certainly it does for me anyway. Piotr, give us some sort of proxy for where you are today in terms of size, whether that's people, revenue. Love to know that and then maybe take it back to the origins. Sure. We are about 70 people today. Uh, we do, let's say, something between let's say between 10 and 15 million revenue per year. I don't want to disclose too much, yeah. but this is the ballpark of a, of, of a revenue we, 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 we're, we are at this moment at. Okay, amazing. And can you give me the elevator pitch of what on for those that don't know Uncap, give me the elevator pitch of what Uncap does and who um, you are. The easiest way to fund growth, liquidity, uh, working capital for your tech company. If you're e-commerce, SaaS, tech company and you need the capital not for R&D but for the like more repeatable parts of a business, you shouldn't be using equity, you should be using debt and we are the best provider of debt for for these type of businesses yeah cool and just just explain or, or maybe expand on that why you shouldn't be using equity and you should be using debt and and actually the comparison of the cost of the two sure. might be quite interesting to go into so so in other words why would people go down this route when actually well maybe the markets aren't the greatest to be raising uh, venture capital at the moment but why would why would a company go down the debt route which is much riskier rather than the vc route i think as you rightly pointed out now it's even impossible mm. to raise the equity, right? So, so if you are a if you are a profitable growing business, or if you're about to be profitable, um, you should never give up ownership of, ownership of a business just to grow a little bit, right? And I think the companies were a bit spoiled over the last you know few years when the equity was so cheap and everything was getting funded in the zero interest rate environment. Um, and I think the situation got a bit not normal, but typically when you're, a, when you're a good business and you need money for the growth, debt is always cheaper because you know in equity investors, they invest long term and they expect very high growth rate because yeah. they you know, lock in their money for, for a long duration. And, you know, that's why VCs are getting so rich. Um, and you know, debt is just cheaper, more efficient, shorter, more flexible, you don't give up control of a business. Uh, so I think there's plenty of benefits. In the past, that was not available mm. to, uh, to this type of companies. And 
what's the history behind the NCAP? I actually was a VC myself, mm. and um, I met with thousands of entrepreneurs, literally thousands, and many of them I was thinking, oh, why are you raising equity? You should be getting debt. But they're like, well, we can't get debt. No one wants to give us the debt. Yeah. Um, and when I went to the VCs to, to, to meet them, hey, I want to start giving debt to these founders. And they were like, you're crazy. Like, it's impossible to lend to them. I was like, I, I think differently. Uh, and here we are. Yeah, cool. Well, we actually, we're kind of getting into the backstory a little bit there in terms of your background. I think it's quite interesting because we will get into this product market founder fit kind of Venn diagram. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit more, but let's take it back. So that's where we are now, 60 or so, 70 or so people, yeah. 10 to 15 million revenue, really focused on this kind of the e-commerce market or the SaaS market where you're, you've got, you know, either come through an EPOS system or a, a Shopify system or um, consistent MRR every month. It's quite stable. You know, you can lend on the back of that with a with a debt instrument, uh, short term borrowing, um, not giving up equity to fund the business, fund the growth. But let's take it back to when you started, which was what, 2016, 2017? 2019. Oh, sorry, 2019. So let's take it back to 2019. So you talked a little bit about your background in, in uh, kind of, you know, talking to these companies. But when when did the spark happen? And how did how did you then jump ship from, you know, what, what a lot of people would really want to get into the venture capital side of things um, into starting your own business. We'll be back in a second, but first let me tell you about Flinder. Flinder builds and runs smart finance functions for tech and SaaS businesses. They work with fast growth businesses from pre-seed up to series A and beyond, and even help with fundraising through their investor readiness program. You get all the usual stuff you can expect from an accounting firm, but with a greater focus on insight and sector specific reporting. Metrics like customer acquisition cost or payback period, all the stuff investors love. Flinder were the first to pioneer Elastic Finance teams, giving you only what you need when you need it. You'll get fractions of an entire finance team to run your whole function, both operational and strategic finance, with your own fractional CFO that also attends your board meetings. You don't only save compared to hiring someone full-time, but get greater insight from the portfolio of tech and SaaS companies they work with. And it's all rolled into one fixed monthly fee, so you know exactly how much it will cost you. Check them out at flinder.co. Right, back to the pod. Yeah, I was a VC. I was, I think I was in my third VC job. I moved from a fund to fund to fund. And uh, I had this very big realization that, um, first of all, VC is not as sexy as it looks out from outside. I think, you know, you end up... Um, I think there are a few great VC funds who I admire, but uh, if you are not working for a top mm. VC fund, mm. it's very, very difficult to compete with them and get to the best uh, venture deals. Because you know, at the end of the day, I think founders always prefer you know the top brand like well, I don't know yeah. Index, Sequoia, Excel, yeah. and either you work there or like you, you have to work extremely, extremely, extremely hard. To, to be allowed to get into these deals. And even if you're, and if you're not the founder of a VC fund or a partner, you will not even be allowed to do these deals. So that's quite, if I just pause that, it's quite, it's quite interesting. So a lot of people listening will probably go, hang on a second. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the one, you know, VC fit at the table and, and kind of, you know, alignment. Actually, there's a lot of, lot of people out there or founders out there that just want capital. So a lot of people will be going, actually, I'd love to have that capital. I don't necessarily need the index, the Excels, the, you know, of, of this world. Actually, I just, I just need some cash. This is the funny thing about, um, I think, VC is the only industry 
where it's uh, for the top co- companies, it's a company which picks investor, not other mm. way around. Mm. If you want to invest in a public company, like if I want to buy Tesla, I can just buy Tesla any yeah, minute. Yeah. Like just pay the highest price and, and I can get into Tesla, I can get to any other business. The VC is opposite, mm. right? Like the top founders have offers from every single VC fund. And then it's about the question, you know, um, how do you how do you choose uh, the founder to pick you as an investor? And there are crazy stories I've heard about, you know, VCs using other portfolio companies, like, you know, I cannot name, but I've heard that the, one of the funds wanted to invest in a business and the business said no. So they asked Mark Zuckerberg to call founder and like recommend them, hey, they invested me. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a crazy yeah, industry, yeah. right? And then uh, if you don't have a backing from a platform like this, it's very, very, very mm-hmm. difficult to, uh, to get into, uh, into these deals. Um, on top of that, I thought that VC at this time was getting crowded. And I think in 2021 mm-hmm. was already like, too, is, now everyone knows it was way too overcrowded. But I felt there's too much money on the market and uh, it will be very, very hard to make a good returns. While on the other hand, no one was thinking of that. And I always think that it's not, it's like, I like to be contrarian a bit in mm. my thinking. So I thought, hey, if everyone is trying to do the VC route, can I do something opposite and can I start offering the debt and be the best debt provider for all these businesses? And if you think about it, the space should be much bigger. Mm. And there is probably 100 billion invested in startups uh, every year through the VCs. Probably the market for debt is way bigger. So so, how, so, so you're in a VC and you're on the train, right? Yeah. Every, everyone else is going forward in this direction mm-hmm. and lending, or sorry, not lending, investing uh, venture capital. And you kind of deviate. How, like, when everyone's going in that one direction, how did you have that spark to go, actually, no, no, let's, let's go for debt? Like, what was that spark? How did you kind of, how were you so contrarian? Um, I think I saw... I saw my com- my past biggest competitor called Clearco mm. raise the first round. Mm. I think it was mid 2019, and they raised they the first round, and they said we're gonna lend to all these e-commerce SaaS companies mm. around the world. And I thought this is brilliant. Mm. And um, honestly, I I was thinking first of all maybe I can invest in some European competitor. At that time, they were only in mm. the US. Mm. Um, so I wanted to invest in a competitor. I was researching the space. No one was building this. And honestly, like I was going to bed every night for a month or two and I was like, I couldn't sleep. I was like, this is gonna be big. Someone will build a huge business in this space and no one is doing this. If there's ever a moment to start a company of my own, this is now. So you got the entrepreneur's itch at that point and, and saw that opportunity. But I guess kind of you were keeping your ear to the market regardless of where that was and you saw that opportunity in the in Europe which was already happening in yeah, the US. Yeah, correct. Correct. And what I did then is I um I didn't immediately quit the job, right? Mm. I, I I prepared the deck. Cuz it's very different going from one side of the table literally to the opposite side of the table. 
Yes and no, right? Like if you think about it, the big part of a job is still there. You still have to meet all the founders, make, make the right decisions. So there is a lot of reputability and like I still end up talking to, I actually now talk to way more founders than yeah, I did yeah, in the past. Yeah. Interesting though, isn't um, it? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. if you're a VC, you t say yes to maybe two out of 1,000 companies yeah. you meet every every year. I get to say yes to about 30% of the yeah. companies I meet every yeah. uh, all the time, right? So I actually, uh, this part of a job yeah. which I enjoy, meeting founders, I actually get to know, I get to do much more. But what, what happened is I met uh, my friend who of course was a VC yeah. and I pitched him the idea. I, I asked him for a feedback on the deck and he said, well, Piotr. Uh, Is that f feedback in inverted commas plus uh, some, some money? <laughs> well, actually, I really wanted just a feedback. And then he said, well, before we proceed any further, I'm in as a fund for, you know, 150,000. I wanted to raise one and a half million. Nice. He said, like, 150, 200, we are doing as a fund. Mm. I want this, like, like, reserved for us. Okay, now let's proceed to strategize. How do we make the deck better? How do we, you know, who do we who do talk to, etc." So, yeah. uh you know, as you can imagine, if you have a yes on the first meeting, yeah. it really boosts your confidence. That's a good 100% uh, scoring rate, right, isn't it? Well, <laughs> to be from, honest. One from one. Yeah, then I had a 70 other meeting. It, it can only go downhill from there, really, can't it? Exactly. <laughs> and it was painful. Like, listen, I think I met 80, 80 VCs uh, when I was doing my pre-seed investment and, you know, Probably seventy-five said no. So, uh, so what was what were the learnings from the seventy-five that said? So obviously, you know, I, I'm assuming your friend that was the, the, the VC, he had uh, he invested in you as a person yeah. and helped you kind of develop yeah. and, and craft what the concept of Uncapped is today, or or kind of the precursor to it. But what did you learn through the other seventy-four, seventy-five no's at that time? What what kind of did you did you pivot the business model at all? Did you change the way in which you presented it? Did you change the pitch deck? Or was it a question, just a question of you had to kiss enough frogs? Terrible Oof. British phrase, by the way. Yeah, so if you, you know I think um, you get better with pitching. So, yeah. you know, whenever you fundraise, there is the whole playbook and strategy how to fundraise. And I had to learn it mm. hard way. Uh, first, you meet the investors you don't want the, you don't want to invest. This is purely to practice, you know, yeah. test the messaging. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I of course did the opposite. I went first to the ones I really wanted, and then they said no. Uh, you're going to put the more. You're going to want to put more energy into the ones you do want and the ones you don't. So if you do the ones you don't want at the beginning, you're potentially not going to prep as well, anyway. Yes, basically, you, you, whenever you fundraise, the first investors you meet, you have to discard. Mm. And what you do is uh, you, you practice. You practice messaging. You see what kind of questions they ask because a lot of the questions will be the same. Yeah. So when you meet the ones you really want to invest, you will have a perfectly nailed answer with a good messaging, with a, you know, you tested what works, what doesn't work. Um, this fundraising advice doesn't apply for the super hot startups. Like if you're super hot, you, you know, in the past, you could have done the round in one week, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's happening anymore. Yeah. Maybe if you're a generative AI company, <laughs> probably you still can. Uh, but normally like you, you practice, practice, practice. Mm. Um, what was good after, like what was good in the nose, you, you learn what are the concerns of people. And frankly, like these concerns were valid and to some extent still are. I think some some not, but 
you know, some people are asking, okay, is the market big enough? Mm. Of course it is, right? But like, if people don't believe in it, like you have, there's mm. not much you can do. People are asking, can you make money on this? Can, like, can you can you recoup the? Uh, can that you costs, have a good? Yeah. Can, have, can you have a good credit score? Mm. Uh, yes, you can, but you can't prove it. Either someone believe in you or not. Like this is very difficult to mm. to prove without. And there were some other concerns they had. I don't re remember anymore. But yeah. at the end of the day, we had a few term sheets. We managed to do the round. Yeah. So effectively, lessons there were. Listen to the feedbacks. So you're an iterative process. Learn from all the Q, the Q and A, and ultimately people will believe in you. But you can refine yeah. your message, refine your pitch, yeah. and refine your answers to the questions yeah. they ask. Yeah. Okay. So how, how many how many uh, investors did you have in that first round? I think I had like a three funds uh, who led the round, and then I had maybe ten angel investors. Yeah. Uh, the first round was amazing. I think we ended up with a really great bunch of people. So we had a seed camp, we had White Star, mm. GFC at the round, and like some really outstanding angels like you know Will Neil, Carlos Gonzalez, like mm. like very like very famous London-based super angels. And how long did that process take from kind of start to close? Or, I think or near we. Close? Um, I started. I had a first meeting in March, April with mm. with his friend. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah. I signed the term sheet in May, so two months process, mm -hmm. and then it was three more months to close the round. So yeah. we closed the round on the 22nd August of 2019. Yeah. So uh, yeah, cool. five months, you yeah, know? Okay, good, nice. And money in the bank. What do you do then? Because <laughs> you, you do have a developer background, but you're effectively non-technical founder. I studied computer science, yeah. so I can code a bit, but I'm a terrible, terrible developer. Yeah. and. I never seen a single line of code in my company. Really right, nice. Um, so yeah, the first thing I hired a technical team. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the first hire was non technical. It was a friend of mine. She was looking for some kind of job, and I just needed someone to you know help do small things like help me research that, book this, you know, yeah, reach out yeah. to that person. Uh, but after her, it was about all about hiring developers. Yeah. And at what point did you get your first customers? Oh, we started to look for them very, very, very early. So um, if, when the round closed end of August, mm. I think the first developers joined us full-time beginning of September or October, and the first customer was in November. So um, we literally had no technology at the time. So that's pretty fast. So I think this is, this is really interesting because a lot of people think, you know, get a nice polished product, uh, get some customers and run them through it. But actually, completely... Completely opposite to that, you got some customers, tech wasn't there, but actually you ran them through the process nonetheless. And did they know the tech wasn't there and it was it was semi-manual or? Uh, yes and no, like mm -hmm. listen, you did practice. They, they didn't care. Uh, I think there's a very famous advice that, you know, the product should be so bad that you're embarrassed. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we were giving loans to the customers you know, for the first two, three months there was no ability to repay the loan uh, even, right? right. Uh, literally, we're just not collecting money back uh, because we're like, this is not a priority. Like, I'd always go rule number one in the business is try and get paid, <laughs> have a way to get paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, listen, like it's, if you're building a business, actually it's whether this is next investment round and for yourself, um, it's all about, uh, discovering and answering the, the big questions, right? And the first question we had was, will someone even want to take this yeah. product, right? So 
The question is not, will they repay the money? Like this yeah, is for later. Yeah. The first question is, does anyone actually want this product and at this price? And this is the hypothesis we were, we were testing. So uh, uh, basically we're like figuring out how to reach out to people, how to get in front of them. The first customer we won was the London-based company called Lestrange. They do- uh, Yeah, the clothing. The clothing, yeah. yeah. The, the hoodies, yeah, yeah, zippers. And the, and the pants. Yeah. Um, to get them on board, I literally uh, went to their store. I think I knew the founders will be there. <laughs> I went to the store, I bought a pair of pants and you know started to chat up the founders <laughs> and uh, try to con and convince them to get on a call with me and, um, and, and sign up as a customer. So this was completely not scalable. But you have face-to-face -face conversations and hear the objections from a customer or a potential customer exactly. then and there. So it's still something to be had for, you call it shoe leather, uh, you know, wearing out the shoes to go from customer to customer, door to door, to understand what the pain points are, what the objections mm -hmm. are, which is, I, I think it's great. And how long did that last before actually you had a a more seamless way of uh, a customer acquisition? Ooh, uh, listen. Um, did they sign up, first of all? They did. Oh, nice. They, they first, became first a, customer? They became a first customer. They became a first customer. My second customer was a company I was, you know, friends with the founders were my friends. Mm. They mm. also e-commerce company. Um, I think they still are the customer. Um, and only after two months later, we started to think we hired a first salesperson, and we started to think about the channels and how do we how do we go after them. We started to test, you know, ads, VC channel, calling, etc. But this came this came later. The first customers were all you know, mine and yeah. I was on the phone with them. I was, I was, you know, doing everything. Yeah, cool. Um, and at this point, how many, how many people were in the team at this point when you got your first few customers? Seven. Seven people, okay. And so what point did the technology, not take over, but technology um, start to come to fruition, if you like? I would say the first months were very, very rapid development because we basically were, you know, um, building that technology based on whatever the, whatever the customer we were talking to, we're building integrations we needed to onboard them. So, okay, these guys use WooCommerce, let's build mm -hmm, WooCommerce. Mm -hmm. These guys are on Shopify, let's build Shopify. Let's build this, let's, be, let's build that. And uh, it was very customer-driven product development. Um, and at the same time, we had a, we had a tiny team, we had three developers uh, on, on the business side, way too small team. But we didn't have that much money, to be honest. Mm. Um, so we were, you know, at the same time we were building the backend and like the loan management system. Um, in the hindsight, I wish we had more people and build it faster. I think it cost us a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so the one and a half million, how long did that last you? And, and what did you do with it? Because some of it was for deploying yeah. and some of it was for you as a business. Yeah. yeah? So I think we split it more or less half and half. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, we'll use half of the money to give loans to the first customers, half of the money to um, build the product and you know do the development, do the legal stuff, yada 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 yada. Yeah. Um, I think it's we. So we got money in August. So in April, March, which was what eight months later, we are slowly running out of money. Right? Yeah. We are like we're the, the runway is shorter and shorter. Uh, we had finally had a debt, so it was good. And the problem was COVID started. Um, and you know, there's this famous beginning of a COVID, I don't know if you remember, we were very tough. I think everyone mm -hmm. thought it was gonna be a disaster, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I think there's a lot of tightening all yeah. around the all around the board, every cost. Yeah. Exactly, and I think my investors were panicking. Mm. They were like, "Hey, you need to cut the costs. Fire almost everyone. You need to have 18 months of runway." I was like, "Guys, like, I have maybe." So at this point, you got two months of runway. <laughs> maybe months. four, right? Yeah. Um, we really have to fundraise, and it was tough. I really thought this is gonna be the end. Luckily, we there was one. Inv everyone said no. All the investors were shut down. Mm -hmm. Literally, we were not mm -hmm. talking. Mm -hmm. And when they were, they were, when they picked up the phone, they were like, "Well, we have a global crisis, and you want to give loans to startups? Mm -hmm. Are you crazy?" Um, then, luckily, what happened is the client started to overperform because mm. and we saw what so, so at the moment you're predominantly e-com are you are you into SaaS business it's predominantly e-com e mainly yeah, yeah. e-com yeah. we had the term sheet on the table one investor um, we had one term sheet on the table and at the very very bad valuation and mm. we were like we were like negotiating super hard like the deal was almost fall apart many many times but we managed to get to something which was fairly okay um, for everyone. And so we closed this deal and the numbers at the same time started to pick up. Mm -hmm. Like the e-commerce was really doing well. Yeah, Overperforming. And we yeah. saw, we had the real-time data, right? So yeah. we're like, our clients you have are- daily data, I'm right. assuming, right? Yeah, right. Clients. So you can see it in real time, what's going on with your clients. So we see things are going really well for mm -hmm. our customers and our numbers are picking up. And uh, so we closed the round in August. So one year after the first one, right? And uh, two months later, I'm coming to my investors and telling them, listen, um, the things are going gangbusters. Like I need, I need more money because we're growing super fast. And they were like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. you, you just closed the round. I was like, look at this. Yeah. And yeah, one month later, we went to the market again and raised our, you know, big round. With the same investor or New a investor. Different, different investor? Yeah. New and investor. can you talk about how much those rounds were? I think, I'm not sure what we announced, so I'd rather yeah. not. Okay, yeah, no worries. It's large, large tens of millions. Okay, amazing, incredible, especially yeah. during that period. Yeah. But then, you know, e-commerce, nobody could go out, nobody could go to a resale store and e-commerce exactly. picked up massively, exactly. huge, huge tailwinds. Exactly. Um, in the e-commerce world. And so where does that take you then? So you see this booming channel or this booming customer base that you're 100% or near 100% focused on. Where does it go there? The problem was the space we were in became very, very, very mm. hot. Mm. We had so a bunch of competitors coming into the market. Every day in every market mm. around the world. Like my invest when you're a founder, people will tell you when there's a competitor coming up, yeah. you probably know it and yeah. like, Every day I would get message. Oh, there's a competitor in France, competitor in Spain, in Brazil, in uh, Middle East, another one. It gets annoying eventually, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, and everyone was getting huge investments, but the space was growing very fast. And everyone was asking, "What's your moat?" Mm -hmm. And I think this was the most mm -hmm. valid question everyone had. What's your moat? Yeah. How are you? How are you different than all the other competitors around the world? And our view at the time was our idea. Um, let's go all in. Let's build a bank for everyone. Mm -hmm. Let's let's you know. Let's not only do the loans, but let's become a, almost like a real bank, mm -hmm. and let's give everyone the accounts, mm -hmm. credit cards, mm -hmm. you name it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but this time, there's a lot of fintechs doing that as well, aren't there? Yeah. Everyone yeah. wants to be a bank. Everyone wants to be the yeah. bank. So. Um, but we got the money, right? Mm, we, mm -hmm. met, we got a lot of money and we see what new investor really loved, loved the vision. 
Um, so we decided to go all in on this. And I'm assuming you ramped up your team accordingly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So we hired a guy from Revolut who was running Revolut Business. We thought, hey, who is, what is the best banking product in Europe? Revolut yeah. Business. Um, so we hired a guy from Revolut running Revolut Business and the team got huge. Like mm -hmm. within a year from 12 people, we became 120 people. In how long? Twelve months? Yeah, or less than twelve like months. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen months. And and who who was involved in hiring those another hundred and hundred or so people? Were you involved in in those hires? Because it's at that point at that acceleration, which is a problem for a lot of fast growth businesses that get you know um, eight figure uh, uh, investments, is that that speed of growth in people you just dilute the values, dilute the message, dilute the vision, and that can create a bit of havoc and chaos as well. That's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened. So you know, um, you know, the problem was my my co-founder was was responsible for a product and commercial strategy, and and then we hired this product guy uh, mm -hmm. from Revolut. And the pre product engineering commercial team they just grew and grew and grew, and frankly, we were not, uh, we didn't keep the bar high enough. So yeah. we grew very large, and people were lost. We people had mm -hmm. no idea. Are we with a lending business? Are we with a banking business? Mm. What are we? Are we? We wanted to launch a banking product in the U.S. first because mm. this was the biggest market. So this time, were you in the U.S. already? Yeah. Yeah, for the revenue-based financing, you were. And the team just got confused, like yeah. you know, doing too many things at once. Uh, you know, the burn increased mm. rapidly. Um, it became a huge, huge, huge mess. Mm. And what did the investors? Uh, I'm assuming at this point you're still having quarterly or monthly board meetings with some investors being on the board or at least giving them updates. What did what did the maybe the original investors think around this kind of this change? This complete, not complete pivot, but this kind of I guess spreading yourselves thinner. What 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 was their view on it, or were they just rubbing their hands together? <laughs> I think initially they were. They had some concerns, but they were fine. I think the truth is, this is, you know, 2021. Mm. This was one of, I think, the craziest years in the history yeah. of uh, startups, right? Yeah. Everyone was doing insane rounds, and the investors themselves were a bit pushing the founders to mm. grow fast at all costs yeah. because this is the market was rewarding. Yeah. You, everyone wanted you That's to, That's a very you know, changed message from now, isn't it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So the investors were kind of like, yeah, you should go fast. Like mm. the burn, don't worry about this now. You will raise another round. Uh, I don't want to blame investors for, mm. for for anything, right? But I think they, everyone was feeling like you should be doing this. Um, and but yeah, we. To be honest, I was I didn't like that very much, and this is where the things broke down in our company very, very soon because we tried to raise our Series B um, and we failed because we wanted to raise a massive amount of money. Mm. And I think justifiably investor, investors didn't buy it because they were like, your banking product is not, not there yet um, and your lending business is not, not big enough to justify this crazy valuation. Um, so, if we wanted to raise less, we would have done it. But mm -hmm. I think we wanted we were going for a massive amount of money, uh, and we failed. And then this was kind of a wake up signal for everyone, mm -hmm. and we started to have uh, internal battles like, what do we do next as a business? How, wh what do we want to do? 
And is that because there was so much, I guess, diversity in vision or because you were burning so bur- burning a lot more than you wanted to or because it was harder to raise? Like what, what was what created or what came to the head? What, what was it that came to a head? I think the bottom line was in the in the management team and between the founders, we had a different vision for the business. Mm. I think some people wanted to, you know, you know, they thought that the only way forward for the business is to execute on the banking vision mm. um, and, you know, grow super fast, burn the money and, and build the banking product. Mm. Well, my view was maybe maybe we overextended ourselves. Mm. Maybe we should come back to the core. Maybe we should like cut all these side projects and mm. this banking, imagine we had half of the Because were you trying to go for a banking license at the time as well? No, we were using banking as a service, but like yeah. imagine half of the company was building the banking business, which had no customers. Like, and you know, the rest of the company is asking, what are they doing? Like, you know, we are burning millions and they brought in, I think, 10 clients uh, mm. over the year. This is crazy, right? Mm. And it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. And at the end of the day, we, um, we ended up going to the board and, and talking to the board as a founder, as a management team, and uh, we pitched different visions for a business. Mm-hmm. And the board agreed that the better way f- to proceed is to cut all the other products, scale down the business, and focus what are we really were meant to be doing, which is lending. So we did a huge round of layoffs. We shut down all the other projects and focused on the core business. So, so let me get this right. You and your co-founder both pitched effectively in competition with one another, different business visions. Yeah, and and made the the, the dragons effectively. Yeah, choose which one to go exactly to go for. Okay, wow. And uh, how was that from a stress perspective? It's it's very very difficult. I don't recommend it to everyone, but at the same time, it's a very common story. I think mm. founder breakup stories are so common. Um, and and now whenever my friends, uh, other founders are going through this, I'm I'm really trying to be of help to them, uh, because you know you're you're basically going to meet investors and you're thinking, well today I might lose my baby. Mm-hmm. Something I created, I, I founded, you know, uh, two years ago, three years ago, I'll be fired from my own company. You know, Steve Jobs was fired from his own company, yeah. right? Yeah, it uh, worked so okay for him in the end, didn't it? So. <laughs> happens to the best, yeah. I'd say. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very difficult emotionally. I think, you know, from an ego perspective, you know, you think how the rest of the world will perceive you, like, you know, uh, as a founder, so much of your identity is tied yeah. to the business. So uh, am I a failure? Like, how do I feel about myself? Very, very tough time. And how, so how how did you reconcile all of that as you were pulling together, I guess, your pitch or your repitch to the investor pool? Um, how did you how did you work through that? Like the emo- the emotional, the, the mental side of it. Uh, a lot of therapy, I have to say. You know, antidepressants. Like mm. this is a very dark period in it f- for me personally, and I think uh, I I managed to do a lot of self reflection. Think mm. you know how to treat myself. Um, I realized I have to treat myself like an athlete. Mm. So you know invest in eating healthy, yeah. invest in sleeping, invest in exercising. So I got a personal trainer, like I think two months after that, and really start to work very, very hard on making sure I'm healthy and well rested because that's the only way you can 
go through this level of anxiety, stress, mm. uh, you know, sleepless nights. Mm. Uh, it's 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 very very difficult for every founder, and I think many of them are going through this right now. Because yeah, because running a business and going through the stresses is it in many ways it complete odds the opposite end of the spectrum to leading a healthy life. Yeah, in terms of getting good sleep, eating healthy, uh, ex having time for exercise. And there's obviously there's, you know, anyone can say, oh, well, it's just about prioritization, but it is at the, it's diametrically opposed yeah. to running a very yeah. stressful startup where you've, you're accountable to investor stakeholders, where you're accountable to a team, um, where you, where you've got these challenges of, Hey, I've got to repitch for my baby, for my, for my baby yeah. that I've created. Um, and how long was that process where it was kind of like, okay, I know I'm going to have to repitch for this and this is the pitch state. What's, what sort of period did you have where you had to collect your thoughts and present that vision or reconfirm that vision? I think we started to have like big discussions internally uh, in December, but they didn't get to the board level. Uh, and But I think once they got to the board, I think within a month, mm. it was kind of, it was, I think it was a, like one month process, you mm. know? Um, because the last thing that the board wants to do is to fire a founder, to be mm. honest. So initially it was all about pitching, hey guys, maybe you can align yourself. Align, <laughs> yeah. work together. Like is there like really no way you can you can you can start working together? But my relationship with my my now ex co-founder was just so broken mm. that um we just didn't see eye to eye at all. I think our visions were so different that we both realized it has to be one, or, one or the other. And was it dysfunctional for the rest? So at this point, the team was 120 or so. Uh, you know, was it dysfunctional for the team below you as well? I, I, did they have their favorite parent, if you, if you like, want for a better phrase? Or how of did course. that work? Of course, you have, you know, the team, which is, and I think this is why it gets very dysfunctional, because your management team and people below don't know who to listen. Like, mm. hey, I have one founder and other founder pulling in different directions. Who do I listen to? Uh, who's the real boss? You know, <laughs> I had a... You have a CEO, just I was the CEO, but you know. Um, what was your co-founder role? COO? COO, but CPO? I think COO, but technically like 90% of the company is reporting to me. Yeah. I had only like like risk and finance and he had commercial product function. Yeah. So on one, he had majority of a team underneath him, mm. uh, but we were completely misaligned mm. and it got very, very, very messy for internally, right? So uh, I think it was a very, very bad period for the company and um, how frustrating was that personally that maybe people wouldn't, maybe I'm putting words in here, people wouldn't do exactly what you, sorry, that sounds very dictatorial, but um, would, people wouldn't be aligning themselves to what your vision was and kind of veering off that. Well, how, how frustrating was that? How did you, how did you, how did you bring uh, that back on track before that time? I think, you know, it was very frustrating and very unproductive for mm -hmm. the team. I think, you know, we were spending you know, countless meetings mm -hmm. trying to align on a vision for the company. And I think both sides then are like very unhappy, like because mm -hmm. one side, like, you know, I wanted to do the layoffs and the half of the management team is saying, no, we can't do the layoffs. Mm -hmm. So like you can f try to find the compromise, but in the period like this, when the company is going through a very, very difficult time, compromise is not the way forward. Like no. you have to do a very, drastic measures like what Steve Jobs did in Apple right like what he when he took over after he was fired he you know shut down the old products he bet everything on I think one or two products cut shut down the you know 
shrink the product line. And that's what we had to do. But um, the rest of the management team was against this. They were really like, we can't quit banking. We, mm. we can't quit this project. So uh, I was frustrated as well because I was like, no, this is these measures are not enough. Like to save a company, we really have to do a huge turnaround. Mm. What was the, if you go back a bit to the, this was kind of, there was an, an inflection point there. What what was actually the the catalyst? Because obviously you've gone, you've gone a number of months, 10, 12 months or so on building this, building out the banking tech, hiring a bunch of people. At what point did you, did you kind of go, oh shit, like, and stand up, stand up and go, actually, this isn't the right direction forward. Like what was the actual final catalyst for that? Because, you know, I guess you can go from day to day, month to month, week to week, month to month, and all of a sudden it's 12 months later. What was that day or catalyst that said, we've got to change this? You'll be, I think it was a tiny, tiny thing. You know, I, we, um, we had this employee and I don't name him, but they had this role, which I thought is completely hmm. useless. Hmm. And, uh, this person like joined us and, um, in my opinion, had nothing to show for after three months. Yeah. And, um, I went to my co-founder and said, hey, we have to uh, let this person, we have to f fire this person. And he said, quote, this is your opinion, Piotr. <laughs> and I think then this is the moment when I was like, okay, like I can't be, I can't be running this company if like there is someone I think is mm -hmm. completely adding zero value yeah. to the business yeah. uh, and I can't let this person go. This this can't continue, and I think this the things escalated from this moment yeah. very very quickly. It's very, it's very difficult when you've got 120 in the workforce to, to to be on top of everybody's output, input process, and output. It's very difficult to do that with 120 people it's in the organization. Doesn't it, yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, we didn't have numbers to justify 120 yeah. people. Like we had, we didn't have enough to show, and and I think the problem we did was we. Um, we're launching this new product with a too big team. We had like uh, 50 people working on the banking product when we had like 10 customers. And yeah. this is complete opposite of lean startup yeah. and you know launching products effectively. Yeah. Uh, we didn't listen to the clients. Um, and we mishired. We basically yeah. had uh, people coming from big companies who didn't mm -hmm. have this founder mentality. Yeah. And we had to change it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I guess in the in that pace of growth in people, you're ultimately hiring the wrong people that weren't aligned to the right values. One can I guess. So, how how was the relationship with uh, the, your your, your co-founder, ex-co-founder after after kind of the initial split? Listen, it's 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 very hard to come back after yeah. something like this. I think it's it's okay now. It's productive. He's supporting the company, and I think he he's doing amazing things right now so yeah. i think time heals the wounds yeah. and i think it's much better now i think if i were to meet him i think it would be okay but uh <laughs> to be honest not, not in a dark alley <laughs> uh no 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 i think it's all good and i think um i think he's proud of what we are doing now that's as a awesome. company yeah, that's really good uh he's very supportive but uh i don't think we could work together again is there any is there any kind of lesson from that? And as you as you rightly said, there's a lot of co-founders that split over time with, with different life events, um, you know, different uh, ideas uh, uh, for the vision of, of the business. Um, you know, what would you what would be your kind of one nugget there? One one thing you would share if somebody's going through a co-founder breakup? Wow, I would say um, 
don't be shy to talk about this issue as early as possible and uh, bring investors on board as early as possible. I think we are trying to hide it from the board investors mm -hmm. and I think uh, we would have done a better job had we been more frank and open about it and like... With each other or with the board? With each other and the yeah. board. I think yeah. we're trying to hide these issues mm. uh, for too long um, from each other and, and from, from people outside. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So now, so uh, you're you're now the the CEO and and, and original founder, still founder. Um, you raised Series A. We talked a little bit about other markets. So t tell me if we if we can dive into the kind of the process around Series B and ultimately where you are today. Um, we wanted to raise Series B, mm. and and thank God we didn't. You know, I mm. think. I think personally it's a blessing in disguise yeah. because we wanted to raise, you know, this like, you know, nine digit mega round. Mega yeah. round. And uh, had we done this, we would have never made changes to the business. Mm. Uh, and I think we would be worse business mm. Uh, mm. down the line. And frankly, not having this money and having much less money forced us to be efficient, effective, and we are profitable right now, growing every month for many, many months right now. Um, because we knew that like, there's only one thing that will save a company, treating customers the best we can, treating them fair and being eff eff efficient with what we do, how we do things, only having, we could only afford to have best people. So um, the company, frankly, now is in the best shape as it ever was. That's awesome. It's a bit, bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? A fast growth business that's profitable. It's quite, <laughs> there's more and more of them, yeah. but you know, typically it's a bit of an oxymoron. So yeah. tell me what's the, um, to, to close off uh, Piotr, if that's okay, what's the, um, the one key metric that you look at in your business day to day, week to week, month to month? What's the, what's the most important thing for you as a founder and CEO of the business? To me, uh, it's a um, number of clients we talk to every day talk to not convert but number of clients you talk to i think bottom line is i think they will will convert them i believe in our process i believe in our risk and you know um it's you know sometimes the clients take longer to convert but at the end of the day i believe if we talk to enough uh of the right customers yeah. and we offer them the right product sooner or later they will convert sometimes it takes one year to convert the customer yeah. because it's a wrong time but I want to make sure that back. every founder around the world knows that we are there for them and we are the best option available. Amazing, amazing. And uh, any lasting bits of advice for uh, other uh, founders going going through any of that journey that you've just described? I think um, what really helped, you know, when I launched the business, I was working 24 seven. Mm. I think, you know, I was first one in the office, last one to leave. And I think that's what you probably have to do in the very early stages of a company. But now um, I realized that, you know, this is a marathon of the sprint. I'll probably be in this company for many more years to come. And uh, I have to enjoy the ride. Yeah. Uh, so to do that, you really need to treat yourself in a way that you can last this marathon. And this means, you know, eat well, train, sleep, have a good personal life, you know, you you cannot do this on your own. So so you have to make sure you have an ecosystem around you and, and be healthy to to make sure you can deliver value for, you know, shareholders, employees, clients. 
but also look after yourself. So enjoy the process, not just the destination. Exactly. I love it. Piotr, thanks very much for doing this. Thank you for having me.